Welcome to Ask Andy featuring Andrew Redleaf. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs. Wanted to talk today a little bit about the wisdom of crowds and the wisdom of experts and to lead with the conclusion I think actually in both cases, depending on the circumstances, both are underestimated and overestimated in particular ways. And I think it's useful to think about the ways in which that occurs and where, in fact, a crowd will be wise and when, in fact, the experts would be wise. One of the things that a crowd can do or polling a crowd can do is incorporate independent small pieces of information. So for instance, suppose you're asking who won the Super Bowl in 1990. I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know for sure is that the Vikings didn't win the Super Bowl in 1990 or in any other year. And I feel confident that if one surveyed 100 or 200 moderate football fans, that approach would get the answer right for every single Super Bowl. And that, in fact, without preparation, uh, Roger Goodall, the current commissioner of the NFL, couldn't do that. The important thing in the crowd context is there being different people possessing partial pieces of information that make their guesses somewhat better than random, and that large numbers can turn something a little bit better than random into something like a sure thing. If one ever watched um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, there was the lifeline poll the audience. I think, you know, I don't know the numbers, but I'm quite confident that that was the best and most useful lifeline. And it works if just a handful of audience members can eliminate one answer and guess among the other three. And the one that they can eliminate in the audience is at least somewhat independent. So the big factors are accessibility to at least partial information, and that they're not being a systematic bias or skew to the information that people have. Now, one of the things we know, both from psychology and introspection and a whole slew of experiments in the field, people use heuristics to make decisions to make estimations, to guess on certain questions. And therefore, it's possible to create trick questions, which is to say a question in which you know a heuristic that people will use and you know that in that instance, the heuristic is wrong. One example, if you ask someone, you borrow a thousand dollars and you're asked to make 12 
monthly payments of $100 each. What interest are you paying on that $1,000? Now, the heuristic that people will commonly use is they're paying back $1,200. They borrowed $1,200 is 20% of $1,000. They're paying it back over a year, and therefore, the interest rate is uh, around 20%. That would be a very, very common answer that people would give you probably more than 50% of the people in the world. A better heuristic is that you borrowed $1,000, you're paying it back over a year. Your average balance is therefore something like $500. You're paying $200 in interest, so the uh, interest rate is 40%. That's actually pretty close, though you could refine it a little bit further. You know that in the beginning, you're paying more interest and less principal, so your average balance is uh, something a little bit higher. It's going to be higher than $500, which means uh, the $200 in interest is going to be a little bit less than 40%. But if one can identify a heuristic that a crowd of people is going to use, one can, in fact, trick the crowd. Likewise, the crowd might not be disinterested or the information in question might not be accessible by uh, the ones that that one is serving. So it doesn't matter how many people you ask, you can't ask, even educated people a question about particle physics and expect to get a good or correct answer. The information just isn't accessible. With experts, the issues are somewhat different, though not entirely. So just as ordinary people have a ready supply of heuristics to tackle a wide variety of problems. The experts have their heuristics too. So for example, in finance, even though everybody knows it's not necessarily true, there's going to be a default that distributions are normal or quasi-normal or something like a normal distribution, probably with bat tails but also that you know correlations are going to be constant throughout a distribution or you know to the extent that adjustments are made it will be ad hoc from that kind of heuristic um, so if one knows the heuristics that experts are using in a certain field one can in fact ask uh, trick questions you know sort of figure out someplace where the heuristic is going to be really wrong and survey the crowd of experts in that way and one will get wrong answers. More commonly, unlike, you know, sort of the Super Bowl questions or uh, the who wants to be a millionaire kind of question, experts are only very rarely disinterested. And while for the most part, I don't think experts are corrupt, but they are human and they have interests which um, can come into play. You know, 
perhaps the most uh, pertinent and prominent of interests. Our experts have an interest in the prestige and influence of their field. So they will be inclined to see it as uh, providing more information than it actually does. The you know kind of classic, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, and maybe the more expensive, the more developed your hammer, uh, perhaps the more nail-like everything looks. Adjacent to that are experts purporting or transporting a particular expertise into an area in which they are not experts. So here, if one thinks about the CDC and the question of whether schools should be open or not, I don't believe that the CDC would actually claim to have expertise on the uh, cost and harm that is done to small children by keeping them out of school, disrupting their routine, putting them in what's apt to be a differently but more stressed environment. And yet, if in fact the CDC, as I believe it did, recommends school closures, they're transporting their expertise from the effects that having open schools might have on the transmission of the virus. So the benefits in terms of reduced disease spread to a different question, which is, you know, do the benefits outweigh the costs? And because uh, they may well be experts on the benefits, they are not experts on the costs and their opinion is in that way not particularly expert. Within the psychology literature, one of the strongest biases, hardest to overcome, is what's called confirmation bias. When when one has a prior belief, one sees evidence that supports it and weights evidence that supports the prior belief and tends to not see or not give prominence to or not give weight to contrary evidence. Experts are at least as subject to this bias as um, non-experts and in fact will almost always have strong prior convictions and institutional interests in their prior convictions, making confirmation bias a very, very large issue among uh, experts. So to summarize, with a polling the crowd kind of methodology for seeking truth, making decisions, the question is, is the relevant information accessible to the audience? Is the audience disinterested? Are there systematic things that would bias the audience, you know, basically in some ways, is it a trick question? Is the issue more the aggregation of a lot of widely dispersed but accessible information? Or 
is a, a narrower technical question without a lot of uh, relevant peripheral information. You know, with experts, it's you know, to some degree the converse. Is in fact this a technical question in which the experts are in fact expert? Is there a large amount of relevant peripheral information which the experts in fact may be systematically excluding? Are there strong institutional interests, prior commitments, prior beliefs that the experts hold that will color all future judgments? One of the things that interests me and I think is interesting is just how often an organization would ask the fundamental epistemological question, is this an issue for the crowd or is this an issue for expertise? And I think rare indeed is the organization that can distinguish the two and accept the two in a intelligent and consistent way. But I think there are tremendous gains to be had by in fact undertaking that exercise. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ask Andy. If you would like to submit a question, please email askandypodcast at gmail.com. Ask Andy is sponsored by Park State Bank. Visit www.parkstatebank.com for all your banking needs.